There is a risk of loss in futures and options trading. We discuss profitability as it pertains to the business as a whole and not the hedging account specifically. The information contained in this publication is taken from sources believed to be reliable but is not guaranteed by FPC nor any other affiliates, subsidiary, or employee collectively referred to as FPC and is intended for the purpose of information and education only. Nothing therein should be considered as a trading recommendation by FPC. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome to the Future Profits Podcast, hosted by Future Profits Consulting, where we help you understand future profit potential and how to capitalize. I'm joined, as always, by Adam Hooker, my co-host, and today we have got a special guest joining us. We've got Jared Schmidt of Farm Financial Strategies, where he's an estate planner there. Um, He is also a consultant with FPC, so you may or may not see his picture on our website, uh, he helps to bring expertise in estate planning um, to FPC along with all the other duties that we do here at FPC. So first want to say uh, welcome, Jared, and we look forward to picking your brain today. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So I guess you sent over an outline of things that you thought were worthy of covering as we kind of dive into some estate um tax changes or proposals today. So just to kind of give the listeners a heads up of the three things we wanted to cover, we wanted to go over estate tax changes, capital gains uh, changes, and then basis adjustment changes. All of those uh, just being proposals at this point, but just kind of stuff that's out there and maybe how farmers should think about it and how it changes that. Jared, maybe take a minute and give a brief overview of farm financial strategies, kind of what you do how you do it. And then from there, we'll dive into some of the questions around the estate tax laws and proposed changes. Well, you bet. You bet. So 2002, that's uh, 19 years ago, I started working with Farm Financial Strategies. And our goal is to work with individual farm families and, and help them through or walk them through the process of putting together a proactive plan that allows them to both keep the operation functional and cash flowing, as well as Keep it in the family, keeping passing ownership to the appropriate people, making sure that uh, try and reduce some of the in-family fighting and, and have some of the hard conversations up front and help walk them through the process of, you know, reading the legal documents and such that we would need an attorney or an accountant to review or write. And in the end, end up with a, a family farm that we know on paper is guaranteed to pass down to the next generation and and function. So that's. That's kind of what Farm Financial does as, as a as a company, and I'm maybe one of eight members that would be able to walk you through some of those some of those issues. You know, Trevor, you mentioned when you when you started the podcast, you said I, I sent over an outline. Boy, right now in estate planning, it's hard to narrow it down to an outline. There there's so many things changing, there's so many numbers changing. The conversation with any individual goes in so many different directions. So to say three topics is is maybe misleading. They should have tried to give you 30. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we expect you to dive in um, onto these three. So we've only got time for three today, but <laughs> we'd love to love to continue the conversation for sure uh, moving forward, I guess. So well, we kick it over to our <laughs> listeners too. So if our listeners have other topics related to this that they want to hear from, they can, they can kick us those ideas through the email, Jared, and we can bring you back on as a guest another time as well. Uh, I'd be happy to do that and answer some individual questions. That's always fun. 
if there's nothing else that you kind of want to say here before we get started, Jared, I'll just go ahead and kind of turn it over to the, the estate tax side of things. That's where we wanted to start today. If you could just maybe explain some of the proposed changes and some of the uh, impacts that you could see that having and, and just some of the numbers behind all that, we'll kind of work through that conversation first. You bet. So let's start with where it is today. Right now, every living person in America gets $11.7 million of credit. And a married couple would have $11.7 million each. That is the maximum amount of assets that you can pass through your estate to anybody without paying any estate taxes. Anything over that, so the first dollar over that total is taxed at 40%. So every dollar over costs 40 cents in taxes. And Valuations are usually done at death by using appraisals, by using date of death account values, whether it was mutual funds or retirement accounts, checking accounts or farmland or an automobile. They all get they all get valued. That total can't exceed eleven point seven million. Now, in the most recent bills being passed around in Congress, um, there's been several different versions. So it'd be impossible for me to tell you exactly what it's going to be, but in our best guesses, here's what we're hearing. We think it'll probably be rolled back to the approximate $6 million range. And that'd be 6 million per person. The reasoning for that is the current, the current Trump tax cuts that were, that were under are set to expire at the end of 2025. And at that time it was going to be about 6 million then so really what this is, is not changing the future. It's moving the future closer to us, just accelerating it by four years. And and we get what would have been the law in 2026 in 2022. So with it being lowered to $6 million, that's $12 million per couple. And you couple that with the land prices. I work with farmers every day. I see all these farm sales. I see what they're going for. I see how fast they're growing. And if you take our exemption and cut it in half and our farm values and add half again to them, what we get is a taxable estate in a pretty reasonably sized normal family farm. You know, a six or 700 acre farm with some grain livestock equipment. And pretty soon you're, you're required to have at least a pretty good level of estate planning and legal documents in order to achieve using all 12 million of exemption and pass it down to your kids without taxes. So the values they're using are just putting it in the forefront for a lot more people that have had to deal with it and had to think about it in recent times. Jared, do you think that's something that people overlook is the value of the ground and and really how sizable their estate is? And they might look at these exemptions currently and, and kind of dismiss it as not an issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every time I sit with a family, it's hard to get somebody to be honest with the price of land. Um, you know, I work with farmers and, you know, traditionally a farm is worth whatever you can grow on it and the, the amount of income you can make in, in any given year. Nobody really sees it as a sellable asset because a farmer not, is not an investment. They're not buying ground to sell ground later. They're not flipping farm ground. So their farm is not for sale. Therefore, it has no value. So it's very difficult for them to, to conceptualize that someone's, someone else is willing to pay you know, fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars an acre for their farm ground. You know, it depends on the the side of the state you're on. You know, north or south, there might be seven, eight, nine thousand dollar ground in the south. But we just had a twenty six thousand dollar an acre sale uh, near one of the cities. But it's pretty consistent thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars an acre. Yeah, I absolutely think they overlook it because they don't consider their farm ground worth what it's. 
probably really worth. And their their bankers got them conditioned to not overinflate their balance sheet. So absolutely, you, and I agree with that. You want to see where your growth is. You don't want to see where inflation took you. You want to see what your work did for you. So it, it's pretty common. So as as you're thinking about that, you know, you kind of encourage listeners to say, okay, take the highest value sale in your area and maybe use that when you're trying to calculate your estate and not what I paid for it or what I think it's worth or what I would pay for it again. What's the highest sale that's gone on around you? And then multiply that by your acres. And then, cause what'd you say? 40% over 40%. Yeah. The penalty is so big that I would rather, I would rather look for a reason to do the planning and not need it than to look for a reason to not do the planning and then by accident need it. Because in those last couple of years, you know, a lot of people don't make a lot of changes in the last three, four, five years of their life. And there's a lot of inflation. I mean, look at look at the land value differences in the last 18 months here. $4,000 an acre up, you know, depending on what area you're in. That's a lot of inflation changing a lot of numbers on a balance sheet. You'd, I'd much rather have the, the pieces, the documents that I need in, in place rather than be searching for them in the last hours of my life. So Jared, I don't know if you know this or not. Obviously we're, we're centered here in Iowa, but could you put a percentage of family farms that are greater than that? Um, I guess today is 11.7 million per person and you know, maybe how, how many more or what, what that percentage increase would be if that does drop down to $6 million um, per person. Do you, do you have any stats on that? Like the number of farms that that would be um, at that point? Gosh, I really don't. You know, the, the size of the average family farm has been growing. The active family farm has been growing. Uh, I probably don't, I really don't know what percentage that'd be. I, I would just be thrown out a number that I would say more than half should probably have some language in there to address these things. And then we, we look at uh, buildings, uh, that livestock, and that all that stuff gets uh, thrown into that as well. So with, with inflation on on all commodities that we've maybe seen in the past year or so obviously that number is continuing to increase would you believe that absolutely with grain prices increasing as rapidly as they have you know livestock obviously all those things fluctuate and it's the value on the date of death that actually matters so you know if, if you die in december and you own and you own a bunch of hogs maybe maybe your hogs are not as worth as much as they would have been in june but i guess i don't i don't want to have to hope someone dies in a certain season because of the value of their assets. I'd rather be protected and, and not worry what month it was. Yeah. You said something, Jerry, that made me think. So you were, you were talking about in the last two years, two or three years of life, people don't make a lot of changes, but we also don't know when the end of your life is. And every day we're working on risk management here and it's easy to kick that off and go, well, next year I'll start and I'll do something different. I'll, I'll, I'll follow a marketing plan then. And you just kind of kick that can down the road but from an estate planning standpoint, you don't know the day that you're going to meet your maker. And so you might, you know, you might be in the prime time of your, of your working career and something happens and absolutely that, that could be your mid sixties, early fifties I and mean, whatever. I mean, it can be any time. So, you know, to think that right now, because I could see some people going, Hey, $15,000 an acre. Yeah. But ground's going to come down. These values won't stay that we've been high before they come down. I'm not going to worry about it. Because in 10 years, I don't think it'll be here. But if something happens to you and it happens to be in this time, those values are stuck to your state. Is that right? 
Yeah, you know, Adam, that's it's just a total different way of thinking because we go to bed at night making a schedule for the rest of the week for, for tomorrow. We have a to-do list. We have things we have to accomplish, and we we don't think about what if I don't wake up. And, and that's exactly what an, an estate plan is. It's the what if I don't wake up? What's going to happen? What's my to-do list if I'm gone? So it's just a complete different way of thinking, and it's so easy to say, you know what, I'm going to do that when I have a little bit more free time. And in this world, there's a lot of things to occupy our time. Free time doesn't come very, very often or very free. So I, I agree. It's definitely something we too easily push down the road. Jared, I'm going to circle back to the the tax here. I don't remember, maybe you answered this earlier, but did you say that day that, that you pass away, um, who comes in and appraises all that? Is there a set appraiser for everything or does it kind of, you know, depend? Is it just, is it, I guess, is it just an appraisal that determines that value or how do they go about that? Well, that's a good question. So anybody can order an appraisal, but the family could sit down and say, well, let's, let's find a land appraiser and go appraise that. Let's, Let's go check how many bushel are in the bin and get a value from the co-op for what corn value was the date of death. Let's let's go count the number of head we have out in the lot and and apply whatever the board price was on that day. And anybody can do those appraisals, and it's whoever the family wants to hire. Very often, the family doesn't want to doesn't know or doesn't want to deal with it, and the attorney or the attorney's office will order it, and both works just fine. Obviously, doing things on your own that are simple like that saves quite a bit of money than paying an attorney to take the time to do those things. But it, it does have to be a certified appraiser when possible. Uh, you know, equipment can be a local, you know, a local implement dealer can come out. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I believe they actually enjoy that. They see everything that's there. They see what you need next. And uh, more than likely are going to be able to sell you your next piece of equipment if, or maybe get to sell your current equipment. But yeah, somebody, somebody that's an expert in each one of those areas needs to stop out and, and give evaluation on their letterhead, not on yours. You can't just turn in a number, but then with, with it on their letterhead, the attorney can then use it and apply it to the estate tax return as needed. Something that you didn't mention, and I believe this is, this is correct, but if you have life insurance or retirement assets, those are part of your estate as well. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Investment assets are, I mean, those are pretty simple to look up. You look at whatever the value was, the date someone died. But life insurance is also often uh, miscategorized here. It's Life insurance is sold as tax-free, and that's that's kind of a half-truth. It's income tax-free. You don't pay income tax. The person that re- is alive that receives it doesn't pay income tax. But the estate of the person to pass has to record it as a death benefit, and it is includable in a taxable estate. So after you have your farmland, grain, livestock, machinery all valued, the death benefit is actually recorded as well. So that is that is a very often overlooked way to inflate a farm by, you know, it's not uncommon these days to have a million dollars of coverage on on people or more. So there's a there's a million right there off the top just because you owned a life insurance policy. Yep, Jared, continuing down the list that you've got here, uh, we've got the 2032A expansion. And I have to say I'm completely in the dark on what the 2030A tax law is in the first place. So I didn't know if you maybe wanted to start there and explain how that relates to state taxes and what the proposed expansion might be. So so right now it's still proposed. There is 2032A is the line item on the state tax return for special use valuation. And it is a process by which you can revalue some of that farmland or business entities or business assets 
and use an appropriate value based upon their income producing potential rather than the value that your neighbors and the people in the county would pay for it. Um, here's a simple example. If special use valuation is an equation, it's a five years average rent, subtract the property tax and divide by the land bank interest rate, which I actually looked up this morning for another family, 4.74%. So if you had you know, $350 average rent minus property taxes divided by 4.74%, you might come up with a, a number that's about $6,800, $6,900 an acre, which I would say is quite a bit lower than what, than what current sale prices are. So that difference is a discount that you're allowed to report in your tax return to make your estate look smaller on paper without actually having to, to get rid of any ground. That's available now, but it's a limited amount. And one of the proposals put forward is that if they reduce the federal estate tax, they would increase the amount of special use valuation, essentially giving a nod to our farmers and saying, here's a way for you to continue to have a bigger farm and not have to pay estate taxes and pass it tax-free using this new valuation method. Now, it comes at a cost. The government doesn't always give you things for free, not always, but there's some hoops to jump. You have to farm it five out of the last eight years of your life. You have to have your next generation has to keep it active for the, for the first five years of theirs. They can't sell it for the first 10 years. So there's, there's some hoops you have to jump. It's not something you want to go into blindly. You want to know what those hoops are and if you're willing to do it. Now, the alternative is, because if you're using it, it's likely to avoid taxes. You can choose to pay the tax and have no hoops or avoid the tax and jump the hoops. Every family might answer that a little bit differently based upon how strongly they're trying to keep the farm in the family. But that's a hope is that we get that expanded. You know, they talked about $11 million of discounting. And to do that, that would, that would definitely help. But you have to own the acres to do it. You cannot... It's not just a discount that you get to apply. You can only apply so much per acre. So I think it's also a false security blanket that many people will not be able to use all of that discount available. It's not just additional discount. Did you say you could be farming it or you have to be running it out or is it you just have to own it? No, right now it's the current law says you have to be active farming five of the last eight years, which means if if you died today, were you an active farmer for the last, for five of the last eight? And if you're not, you don't even qualify to use it. That, that is a little bit of a place where I'm, where I'm concerned. If they keep that language, I wonder how many of our retired farmers that are currently under cash rent scenarios are going to want to go back and become active farmers in order to qualify for this. That, uh, that might be an interesting, an interesting question and a reason for them to not, a reason for them to change and at least consider changes to make sure that people can qualify for this without having to you know, be, become active the whole time. Maybe I'm digging too far um, into tax law here, but can you say what determines someone being an active farmer? You have to, you have to participate in the gain and the loss of commodity. It cannot be cash rent. It can't be one of the fancy flex leases, no index leases. So far, everything that we see is, is the old-fashioned 50-50, maybe a 70-30 crop share. But you're essentially crop sharing, taking delivery of the commodity and being being held accountable for the gain and loss of it. Yeah, so your your revenue in that situation comes from selling the grain and not renting the ground. Does it matter how much of your like if, if you've got two thousand acres and 
only 500 of it, I'm susceptible to the gain and loss of what corn is. And then I rent out the other 1500. Does that have an impact or I don't know. Then the other 1500 would not qualify for those discounts. Okay. Only the 500 that you're active in. Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah. That, that could be something that comes to, I, I hope they re- at least review that and look and see how many people that affects and how many people might have to become active farmers in the near future. So to kind of sum up the estate tax part of it, Jared, there are strategies that can be used to help valuation, maybe even distribution of assets, but things that you do that take time, they take energy, they take effort, just like risk management. But the reward for doing that is you can save 40% if there were to be an issue. I guess part of us bringing you on here today is, you know, every day we're working with risk management and we're referring to the commodity markets. Really, estate planning and what you do on the farm financial strategy side is risk management. It's just, it's the end game, right? It's the, uh, it's the plan that if you don't get it right, you don't get another shot where we've, That's got, right. we've got next it's crop. Yeah. We've got next crop, next group of cattle, you know, next group of hogs, whatever it is, we start over learning and we can do it again with the estate planning. It's if your plans called the action and your strategies utilized, that's it. It's, it's either that's it's either a good one or it's not a good one, depending on what the situation is. So I guess that that's kind of the relevance of why we wanted to bring you on is that even though it, estate strategies and market strategies are different, really it's it's all risk management. And, we, and our goal is to help everybody maximize what they can. And hopefully that listeners have found some value in the estate side of it. So Jared, just to kind of wrap up the estate tax changes here before we move on, as of now, these are all proposals, correct? And if that is correct, do you know kind of a timeline? Do they plan on having this stuff in place for 2022 or do you see some of it maybe coming on and some of it being later? What are you hearing on that side? You're correct, Trevor. Right now, this is all this is all proposals and proposals have come out of both sides of Congress, from the House, from the Senate, and they've been different. And over time, there's been pref- preference given to one over another, and that's how we're kind of guessing at which one we might end up with. Uh, what are we watching? This latest spending bill, it started at about $3.5 trillion spending bill. And there's a senator out of uh, West Virginia, I believe his name is Joe Manchin, has been instrumental in maybe holding that up and bringing it back down to maybe $1.5 trillion. But most of this language is in that or around or related to that bill. So right now, that's kind of the focus is, is tracking that. The later in the year we get, the more likely we think it's going to be a January 1 change. So it'll be a bill passed and then go into effect in January. Earlier in this year, there was a a significant amount of confusion and and stress over whether or not they would do it retroactively back to last January. But most recent conversations that I've heard and taken part of make us think it'll probably be this coming January 1 of 2022. Sounds good. Well, thanks for your knowledge on the the estate tax there. I kind of want to move this along and we'll kind of dive into uh, capital gains tax changes. Um, Again, maybe just have you start with giving a brief overview on proposals and then how you maybe see that affecting farms. You you know, this is all kind of tied to the same bill and and boy, some of the early stuff that came out was, was very tough to listen to because it was, it was really hard on farms right now before, before I even really answer what some of the changes may be, so far, we think most of the basis adjustment and capital gains issues are going to be left out of this bill. And, and that's really, really good because some of the changes they talked about was 
not receiving a step up in basis or a basis adjustment at death and having a capital capital gains be realized at that time, which means anything that mom and dad would pass down to their kids would be would have a capital gains. And then for a little while, they said there might be a threshold where the first million gets a basis adjustment and everything after that doesn't. And the kids would have to pay a capital gains just to receive it. And when you start doing the math on some of our older clients who have bought farms in the early 70s at $500 an acre, and today would be valued at $13,500 an acre, well, that's a $13,000 per acre gain. And you start going into, well, how much is capital gains? And well, today that, that would cap out at like 20%. Well, the law is also scheduled to change what the capital gains brackets are. And there's been a lot of different numbers floated out there. Um, right now we have 15 and 20%, and they talked about the addition of a 25% bracket. And at a certain threshold, most often listed as about a million dollars of capital gains would actually convert over to regular income tax. But then the re- the income tax bracket itself is going up. So there's so many changing components within there that we think the top end of that might be 39.6% income tax, which coupled with your state income tax, coupled with the uh, Affordable Care Act, 3.8% on top of that, you're, you're ending up maybe 52.5%. Well, right now it's, it's a challenge to get a loan for 50% of a farm if you paid for it much. You'd have to have the other half down. It would definitely create a scenario where assets would need to be sold in order to create, in order to pay that tax, and farms would probably bear the brunt of this. Where the blunt of this, where you'd be selling assets just to pass it on. Now, luckily, so far, this basis adjustment, the the adjustment of the basis adjustment has been left out, and they're thinking we're going to keep business as usual, and that's pretty positive. Now the, the the brackets might go up, and that's going to cause some stress. But it's it's pales in comparison as to what they initially started talking about. So we are very anxious at, at what this might be, and who might be contributing, and what kind of language they might use. But uh, the basis adjustments are pretty hot button, especially early, early in the year. There was a lot of lot of concern and a lot of conversations. It's it's also, to be honest, I would say it's a driving force behind some of the farms that are coming for sale right now. If you had the opportunity to sell a farm today and pay 20% capital gains, why would you wait till January and pay 50% capital gains? That seems it's a substantial different amount in taxes. And, and I think it's driving a few farms to sale this year that might ordinarily have been kept a little longer. So we'll have to wait and see, you know, what pans out of what plays out of that. And, you know, after the fact, we'll be able to look back and see what, what the driving force was. But right now it's, that's what I would guess is a, is a big force behind it. Yeah, Jared, while you were talking, I was just, you know, obviously you say they've they've backed off of it and it doesn't seem, you know, maybe as likely now, but you think about how big of, you know, that number can get. I was just punching in some numbers while you were talking. And, you know, if you just said a $10,000 um, gain on a per acre basis and you've got 2,000 acres and then you take that and let's just say you don't get into that top bracket of 20% and let's just say you get into the 15% capital gains bracket, you're looking at $3 million in, in taxes. Does that sound right? It would be. You'd, you'd get quite, you'd get through that 15% bracket pretty quick, but ju- but just using very conservative numbers, yeah, $3 million would be a minimum. Yeah. And that's why I just ran that quick while you were talking. It's like, yeah, even if they backed off, this is why you were probably on high alert and it's, it's a big deal to pay attention to. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a number that you just can't, you just can't absorb that into an operation. 
So Jared, could you talk a little bit about your, you're talking about basis adjustment and we hear step up basis quite often. Could you explain for everybody listening what step up and basis is? So the, the law is actually basis adjustment because we could step up or step down. Um, the scenario would be, what if you were the person that, that just went out and bought this $26,000 an acre farm ground and prices fall. And now it's, it's only worth $15,000 an acre in a year, in two years. For, for whatever economic reason we can point at, that basis would be adjusted down to the 15000 for the date of death value. Historically, basis, because of inflation, because of, because of our growth, it is historically up. And as farmers, we depreciate our assets. So the basis is almost zero by the time it hits our state. We retire anyway or, or die anyway. So it's definitely up from zero. So we've got we've come to know it as a step up in basis, but it would adjust either way. What it allows us to do is put a new basis on an asset that had a lower or otherwise zero basis so that the recipient can sell that asset without paying tax. So if I bought a tractor and I depreciated it to zero and I died and I gave it to my wife, she gets that tractor at its current value, which means she's got a new basis and she can choose to sell it and pay no taxes. She can choose to redepreciate it and avoid some income taxes, but that's her choice based upon the scenario at that time. Grain is the same thing. We buy all of our inputs and we deduct them. We deduct them by the end of the year, typically. So the basis in the new crop is zero. But at death, that crop in the bin is today worth maybe five and a quarter. So you could sell each one of those bushels and pay no taxes. Now, if the price went up tomorrow, there'd be some taxes on that difference, five and a quarter to maybe 530. So taxes on that nickel, but the basis is adjusted. So as to reflect the value on the date of death to give the recipient the opportunity to redepreciate or to sell or to pass on and, and, and make some business decisions at that time. And maybe you already alluded to my next question here, Jared, but just thinking like, and, and, and I, I don't even know the best way to ask it, but do you think that they've kind of proposed all these to try to get, do, do the, does the government want land moving? Do they want it changing hands for whatever reason, or is it strictly a way to get more revenue and try to eat down to our debt, if, if at all possible? You know, I'd like to think that nobody's picking on our ag, ag economy and no one's picking on our farmers, but the reality is, uh, as a government, I think we spend a lot of money and they're trying to raise a lot of money and by changing some of these laws, they're going to generate a significant amount of revenue for them to justify whatever whatever it is they need to spend money on. So, no, I, I think it's more of a money grab and farmers just happen to be in the crosshairs. But, you know, we'll continue, we'll continue to monitor it. Um, I do think we're out of the crosshairs by quite a bit, but uh, there's always going to be some change. It won't be the last time and we'll just have to track what's happening, make our best decisions and and do what we can. But no, I think it's more about raising money than it is picking on the ag economy. Sounds good. Is there anything you else you want to add about capital gains or do we kind of move on or what are your thoughts right now? You know, that that's about it. It was as big as a scare as it was. um, And the thought of it being retroactive, you know, with those things kind of off the table, we're, we're we're thinking we're going to be okay with this. So, I would like to not speculate too much on it until we know a little bit more because that, that's a real hot button. It could be volatile. Awesome. 
Uh, that's good stuff. If there is one more thing that you, Jared, would touch on on, on the estate planning side of it, so we kind of covered the exemption that individuals get. We talked about the capital gains and the basis adjustment, which maybe we're calling back burner threat at this point in time. It's it's still something that can be changed to ad- adversely affect our our farm folks, but at the current moment, it's not it's not a hot button issue. I'd say the top you know that that estate uh, exemption that you get certainly is. If you were to say the next greatest risk that farmers have got from the estate planning side, what would you what would you categorize that? What would it be? The next greatest risk from the estate planning side, you know, to be honest, I think the two biggest risks in estate planning, one is the actual estate tax itself. Because nobody wants to nobody wants to just send the money down to Washington and and have it come at the expense of the farm. But the other is it's operational cash flow. It is so difficult to to have a career and, and run a farm and cash flow positive on an annual basis. But to think that if mom and dad died, you would have to buy a very large percentage of what they accumulated in their whole life, and you would have to accumulate it in about nine months and secure the uh, amount of you know loans to do that. I think cash flow is such a big deal, and with with prices so volatile and land prices so high, and I just think that if you don't have a plan, if you haven't sat down and talked to somebody, if you haven't started one or run taken a dry run through a scenario and say how does this work and what's the cash flow look like for my farming heir, if you haven't done that, I think you really got to spend some time doing that and use some real values because things just do not cash flow very well and you can you can cut it a lot of different ways and it won't work a lot of those different ways so i would like to encourage people to spend the time to talk about what the farm heir wants uh do they want to farm the rest of their life are they willing to to hold the ground and not sell it just like mom and dad did or or is everything for sale because somebody puts a really high dollar value on it but to have some open and honest conversations and plan not just to avoid the tax, but to make sure things work. And that daily cash flow for the air, that's actually, you know what, that's really like kicking it back to you. What would you do if you had to get rid of your, had to manage your risk and, and schedule in some profit and try not to worry about some of those things? Who would you talk to? Well, it's kind of what you do. Good. No, that, uh, I was kind of hoping you'd go that direction because I, I agree. Oftentimes when people are looking at expanding their operation, they're either going to buy a farm or they're going to, they're going to rent more farm ground. They're going to do some kind of cash flow analysis and, and we can tolerate, or maybe a lot of operations can tolerate a skinnier cash flow for the growth opportunity, whether they should or shouldn't depends on every situation. You could build an argument that maybe you shouldn't do something if it reduces your cash flow. Uh, But if it gives you the opportunity for more in the future, some people would look at that and say, that's why I'm going to do it. But very rarely, you know, take a situation of, of four kids in the family, one of them's farming, three is not. To come up with 75% of your operation in that nine-month period of time that you're talking about, not only is that difficult, that's probably, it's probably a deal buster, right? You're going to have to change your operation in, in, some, in some aspect. You're, you're going to have to let some makers go. Something's got to change because that is just not going to cash flow with today's economics land values. No, no, not even close. And the operation has to change. And it's, is that change palatable 
can you can, can you survive on what's left? Can you survive on what you're you're able to purchase? And you know, I think there's some really hard decisions that people have to make. I mean, if you know that there's no estate plan and you know it doesn't cash flow, how long do you stay? And you know, I, I worked with a, a family yesterday. Said the same thing is. There, there was just no willingness to work on an estate plan and a continuation plan. And there were, in that case, there was nine kids. And they knew that if they inherited one ninth, that there was no way they would be able to, to continue an operation having to buy eight ninths or rent eight ninths. It, even if the siblings played nice, it just didn't work the same. So they left. They farmed for 15 years and the farm heir quit, moved to town and got a different job. Because it's it's there's a really hard decisions to make because they're really big numbers to work with. Absolutely. And, and as I think back, you know, to when I started Future Profits, the conversations I had with you as I was trying to start growing this business and and you bringing up exactly that point that, you know, cash flow in these operations is hindering some of the planning opportunities that might be available. And now we've kind of had a paradigm shift from, you know, 350 corn prices have moved back up to, you know, five dollars cash flows have improved, you know, might be an opportunity for a lot of these operations to kind of get things squared away. And the other thing I saw as we kind of partnered together and travel around to, to meet some folks is consistent profitability. You know, if you don't have a plan for managing your risk on the revenue side, which is what we do here with the risk management, it's really difficult to lay in a plan for your estate plan. If year after year, you're just kind of winging it, right? You know, you're, you're, you're selling grain when you need money, or you just don't have a strategy. You're not forward looking to protect that uh, protect that potential out there. And I kind of look at estate planning and what you do. You have to be forward looking. You got to be looking down the line to say, all right, how do we need to plan for what what we see in the future and where the current laws are? Knowing the laws can change, but at least be forward looking into what is this set up, or how does this set up the next generation? Whether it's one, two, or or, or however many it is from an operational cash flow standpoint, is it sustainable? And so it's been, uh, it's been a good joint venture, your skills on the estate planning side and, and our skills here on the, the risk management side, I think is creating a lot of opportunity for folks. Absolutely. And, and I would just, I would second what you said with this caveat, we've met a lot of people in our time driving around and talking to farmers and the farmer that is more willing to, you said, wing it in his, in his annual operation and his cash flow is also more likely to wing it when it comes to his estate plan. So those people that are forward thinking and mitigating risk have a tendency to try and mitigate all risk, not just one risk. So the the successful people have a tendency to actually try and they want to work with both of us. Sounds good. All that is uh, great information, uh, Jared, that you provided. Thanks for coming on today and, and sharing some of that knowledge. And we look forward to, to having you on in the future and, and talking some more. Sounds great. Thanks, Trevor, for having me. Yep, thank All you. Right. Thanks, Jared. Yep, see ya. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it and were able to take something beneficial back to the farmer office. Be sure to check us out on our website, future-profits.com. There you can learn a little bit more about us, check out our consulting services, and view our product offerings. If you have any topic ideas or things you have questions about, feel free to drop us an email at contact at future-profits.com. Give us a follow on Twitter at future underscore profits to stay up to date on the podcast. Until next time.
There is a risk of loss in futures and options trading. We discuss profitability as it pertains to the business as a whole and not the hedging account specifically. The information contained in this publication is taken from sources believed to be reliable but is not guaranteed by FPC nor any other affiliates, subsidiary, or employee collectively referred to as FPC and is intended for the purpose of information and education only. Nothing therein should be considered as a trading recommendation by FPC. Past performance is not indicative of future results.